other, and that means that you're never, you are never alone. He doesn't leave us as orphans. And maybe more importantly, you have a father and you're part of a family. Notice that it says he's our father. Pray, our father in heaven. You have brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you sitting here in Christ, you're sons and daughters of God. You're part of a family. It's why we gather on Sunday mornings is to be with the family of God. All of us focused on God the Father. You have the resources of heaven at your disposal because God's resources are infinite (laughs) as opposed to my own resources as a dad or yours too. No one ever has enough resources, right? God does. He does. And he's gracious and he's ready to give. Um, You have safety and security as you obey him and you have the infinite wisdom of an all-wise, all-knowing father. The scripture says we can go to him and ask anything, right? He's all wise. If, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, expect God to, to speak to you. Expect to get the wisdom that you're, that you're wanting. Don't be double-minded, right, in your praying. And then two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the movement of God in corporate prayer Man, I'm so encouraged right now, just the way that God is, is at work. The number of people that are coming Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock to pray. It'd be great if the whole church came, and we all prayed, and we all cried out to God. But it's not so much the number of people that are praying, but it's the, <laughs> it's the things that have happened in this past week. You see, revival, renewal, spiritual renewal begins with prayer. And that begins, and and this spiritual renewal leads to repentance. It leads to confession. And I'm telling you what, folks. Man, I'm seeing this. I am seeing this happen in our midst on Monday nights. I have no idea what's going on with the women in the other room. I just know what's going on with these 20 guys in that room. And I'm telling you, something has happened. Something is happening this, this concept, this idea that Crossroads would be a place where there's a room of grace, we've talked about that, that over the years, where we would take our masks off, right? And, in, and that doorknob into that room of grace is the idea of humility. That's where it begins. It begins when we humble ourselves and we walk into the room of grace and we take off our masks. We say, you know what? These are the things that that I'm struggling with and I need help. I can't do this on my own. You're right, you can't. It's part of why we have the family of God. We're sons and daughters together. Man, I'm telling you, something's happening. And it's, and it's, and it's growing as we fight this battle together in prayer. I tell you what... Um, <laughs> Yeah, my own. (laughs) I am trying. So, 
I'm seeing it happen in my own family. Don't come out here, just give me a second. I've been praying for years and years. You know how you, as a parent, you pray for your children, right? And one of the prayers that you pray for your kids, well, there are a lot of things that you pray for your kids. One of the things that you pray for your kids is that they would, that their hearts would come to Christ. It's not something that you can, you can't manufacture that in your children, right? You didn't choose me, I chose you. So God's the one that has to move. I can't coerce my kids into following Jesus Christ. I can't, I can't make them follow Jesus. It's something that God does in their hearts. And so you pray and you pray and you pray and you, you say, God, I want my kids to know you. <laughs> so... The 27th, Monday morning, I think that's Monday, the 27th, I'm writing and I'm writing in my journal, I'm saying, praying for my children, that they would come to know Christ. I kid you not, it's a Tuesday night, yeah, we're, we're doing bedtime and I'm just talking to my kids, I'm saying, hey, do you, the two younger girls, do you guys know how to pray? They said, you know, we call God Father, said, well, I call him God, and anyways, um, we tar- started talking about being born again. I said, you know what? Have you been born again? Well, I'm not sure. Well, would you like to know that you could be born again? Would you like to know that you are born again? Yes. Man. And so we, you know, I went into this long explanation of the gospel, and both the two young girls are said yes, and I lost the, young, I lost the youngest one in the process, but... Not the 12-year-old. And man, and so it's a beautiful thing. Um, And maybe the most beautiful thing of it is we got to the end of the prayer and I said, hey, have you ever, do you know the Roman handshake? Do you know the Roman handshake? Tim, do you know the Roman handshake? All right, here it goes. Well, don't shake it. Here we go. Hold on. I was explaining this to her. I was going, you know what? Just let go. Let go. This is the Roman hand. This is what God does for us. God holds us even when we might try to let go of him. God's power. You are born again. You are of the family of God, and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And man, tears are flowing. It's just like, wow, God, thank you. I'm telling you, God, God's at work. And... um, there's a, there's a spiritual healing that's, that's taking place. Things are starting to happen that I'm just I'm encouraged by. And, and why should I be surprised at it, right? Why should we be surprised that if we pray that God's power would move? God teaches us in his word the power of prayer. Over and over again, we see the difference that prayer makes. Remember during Advent, we looked at Hezekiah. What did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah, the the Assyrians are coming. Imminent siege. What does Hezekiah do? He gets on his knees and he prays to God. You know, within 12 hours, 180,000 Assyrians are dead. 
Think about Mordecai and Esther. <laughs> There's a plot to kill all the Jews, right? Mordecai, Esther, they pray. What happens? At the end of the day, Haman's the one that's hanging. He's the one that's hanging before all the people. Think about Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah prays, and, and God softens the king's heart. He softens it so much that he gives Nehemiah not only permission to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he sends him with an army and a cavalry. He says, yes, you can have the forest. As the church prays and acts, Peter's chains fell off, and an angel leads him between two guards and through a gate that opens by itself. Should we be surprised at that? Prayer is powerful and effective, and the Scripture is a testimony to its effectiveness. Do you, think, do you believe that? Do you believe that prayer is powerful and effective? I think sometimes it's difficult to believe that, but it doesn't make it any less true. In fact, maybe we see the rest of the story as <laughs> Peter's chains fall off for a reason, right? The church is praying. <laughs> the church is all praying in this room, and, and uh, Peter walks out of the prison. Where does he go? He goes and he knocks on the door of a place where the people are praying. Rhoda answers the door, and she sees Peter, and she's excited, and she leaves the door shut. She, and she goes back, and she tells all the rest of the disciples, hey, Peter's at the door knocking. How do the people respond? Nah, you're out of your mind. It must be Peter's angel. They're praying, and they're still struggling to believe. And it's okay. The effect is still happening. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. But remember, the focus of prayer we talked about last week, it's not about us. Prayer isn't about us. The focus of prayer is the glory of God. Prayer isn't trying to get God to agree with you on what you want. Prayer isn't trying to get God to line up with the needs that you might have. Prayer is aligning your will with God's will. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, is really our hearts being aligned with who God is and, and what God is doing. And so what should we pray for? <laughs> what kind of prayer does God answer? And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at, at these six petitions that are in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray these things, and so we begin this morning with our eyes focused on the Father and his priorities. Jesus leads in this model prayer with three your statements, and then he follows it with the us statements. He begins, I think, with worship and our hearts aligning with God, and then we, can, and then we go to God and say, give us, forgive us, lead us. All right, so here we go. We're going to unpack each of them and maybe give an example of how you might pray. So, again, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 
9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean, to hallow the name of the Lord? This is a, this is a, this is a phrase of worship. Father, really what, he, what he's saying there, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your name be honored above every name. As you're praying, as you're coming before God, God's name must be upheld as holy. To honor his name as holy means we hold his nature, his character, his personality, and who he is. We hold it in reverence and awe. We're in awe of God. This is what worship is all about. It's what we do Sunday morning. Think about our music time as prayer to God, revering in his name and the things that he does. When we say, Father, hallowed be your name, we're praying for him, we're we're acknowledging and calling on, on the name of God in worship. And so prayer begins with hallowing reverencing, honoring, esteeming, admiring, valuing, treasuring God's name above all things. So what is God's name? I put, some, I put a bunch of those things in your bulletin. I tell you what, I found this list, so I, these things are beyond my comprehension almost, but I think it's important that as we begin to approach God, what is his name? What are, we, what are we revering and honoring God for? He's father. My, my kids call me, well, they don't call me father. They call me dad. But what's, what makes him such a great father? What makes him such a great dad? God's name is Elohim. He's the creator of the universe. God created you. His name is Elohim. His name is El Elyon. Most high, sovereign over all of, the, all of the creation. One of my favorite names of God that I pray often, Elroy. He's the God who sees. Remember that? Remember when that name first came on the scene? Tamar, did I get it right? No? Hagar. Tamar, Hagar. Got it right. They were close. Hagar sitting there in despair. Am I going to get this right? Is it Ishmael? Thank you. I'm getting. I'm, just correct me if I'm wrong. I need to be corrected. Oh, we will. Here's Hagar sitting there in despair, rejected by Abraham. Did I get that right? Sort of. We better keep going. And God speaks to her. And and this name of God appears. He's the God who sees us in the midst of our despair. You may be going through some stuff and you think no one sees. No one really knows what I'm going through. God does. God sees you. He's Jehovah. He's Jehovah Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. This is a new one to me. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. 
Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner who goes before us in the battle. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Jireh, right? The God who provides for us. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah, this is interesting, Jehovah Ezer, the Lord our helper. Here's something interesting you might think about. Ladies, when God created Eve, he said Eve would be a what? Helper, an ezer to Adam. You're in good company, aren't you? You should feel honored to be given that name and to have the name given to the Lord. Jehovah Ezer, the Lord our help. And so he prays here and he says, hallowed be your name. The Lord's name is to be honored in our lives. How many of you grew up and maybe heard this statement sometimes? Hey, whatever you do, don't dishonor the family name. Maybe that's an old-fashioned thing. Okay. Happened to you, right? Don't, maybe that's an old-fashioned thing. You could, the, I don't know. <laughs> yes, maybe you. Don't dishonor the family name. You know what? I did some really stupid stuff when I was younger. Being in a small town, I could, I could hear the phrase, right? Almost like it just was ringing in my ears whenever I would do something wrong. Hey, isn't that Rondell's boy? Man. It's hard growing up in a small town. And you know what the thing that really, about that statement that bothered me? Not so much what I was doing. It was all about what I did to dishonor the Friesen name. Wow, they're not gonna, they're gonna think a lot less of, of my dad now. They're gonna think he's raising a crazy, well, I won't say the word in church. But, yeah, from York. But I think when we say, hallowed be your name, God, this petition can really, it can make a hypocrite out of us. Ray Stedman says this, he says, for we can say, Father, with grateful sincerity, but when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we say this with guilty knowledge that as we pray, there are areas of our life in which his name is not hallowed, and in which, furthermore, we don't want it to be hallowed. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we're praying, right? And he says this, may the whole of my life be a source of delight to you, and may it be an honor to the name which I bear, which is your name. Hallowed be your name. In other words, may your name be kept holy in me. David prayed this in Psalm 19. He said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That is to hallow the name of God. And the trouble is, is that we so frequently, we we know there are great areas of our life that we don't hallow. There are areas of our lives where we're not willing to talk to the Father about. Areas that we don't want to surrender Maybe it's a boss at work. Maybe it's a girlfriend or boyfriend. 
Maybe it's a friend at school. Maybe they mean more to us than the name of God, right? And so this phrase is really about inviting God in, saying, hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy in my life. Lord, I open every closet door to you. I'm taking out every skeleton for you, inviting you to examine it. Hallowed be your name. I want your name to be kept holy in my life. Father, there's no area of my life that I'm not willing to let you look at and talk to me about. There's no area that I'll hide from you, my sexual life, my business life, my social life, my school life, the recreation that I do, my vacation, none of it. It's all open to you. Hallowed be your name, all of it. And when we pray that, we say, hallowed be your name, may your name be kept holy. We're inviting God to walk into those dark places in our lives. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> even just the, the stink of it is too much for us to bear. We think God would never want to walk into that. God comes in. God cleans. God becomes Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. And so he teaches us to pray, holy is your name, may your name be kept holy. And maybe not just in us, but also in all of your creation. And he goes on and he says then, and your kingdom come. In other words, Father, may your kingdom be manifested on earth. And maybe I had to get my outline in too early, but I think this idea is that may your kingdom be manifested in me. Right? May your kingdom come in me. Now when you think of a kingdom, what do you immediately think of? What do you think of when you think of a kingdom? Okay, there's a ruler. What else do you think of? Hey, there we go. So you think of a castle, right? What else? An army, okay. What? A throne? Subjects to rule over? A moat? A bridge? A king? A manifesto? Yeah. Yeah, I think we think of all those things, don't we? May your kingdom come. What does that mean, right? Castles, kings, queens, nobles, subjects, moats, knights. Maybe this idea of a kingdom means a land with borders, right? We think of a kingdom in physical terms. In fact, Jesus questioned Pilate. And what did he say to him? What did he ask him? He said, are you a king? What does that reveal about Pilate? Pilate's looking at Jesus and he's thinking, oh, are you a king? He's thinking physical. He's thinking about a kingdom. What does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to Pilate? <laughs> he looks him in the eye and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
My kingdom is not of this world. The word kingdom there, it's the idea of rule, the idea of reigning. Maybe it should even say that. May you reign. May your May you reign, but kingdom just makes sense. Your kingdom, may your rule and reign come. And this idea of coming, it's the idea of immediately and suddenly. You know, it's what happens when a a person gives their life to Jesus, right? The kingdom of God comes suddenly as we're born again and we're saved. And so we're not talking here about, Jesus isn't talking about a man-made kingdom. You know, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Look at the history of the world. Empires rise and empires fall. One day, America will fall. It will. History says that it will, and it will. So what's the kingdom that Jesus is praying for? What's the kingdom that he's wanting us to pray about? A couple of things that maybe characterize this kingdom are this. First of all, this kingdom is eternal, right? This kingdom that he's talking about is eternal. It embodies the past, it involves the present, and it involves the future. In Matthew 8, verse 11, Jesus spoke of the kingdom as belonging to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the way back then, Jesus' kingdom, right? In Luke 17, 21, Jesus says this, He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is right here, near. And in this prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciple, may your kingdom come. It's something that's future as well. And so the kingdom of God that he's talking about is eternal. He's not talking about a land with borders. In fact, the next thing is that the kingdom of God is universal, right? It's not limited by land. God is the king over the entire universe. He's the king over the whole place. There's no place where God's kingdom is not. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 29, listen to this prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. God's kingdom is universal. It's not limited to land. It's not limited like America is. God's kingdom is is earthly. He's saying that may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking God to bring his kingdom here. The universal kingdom in heaven is established. And the prayer is, let your kingdom come to the earth. Let it come, Jesus. Is that the longing of your heart? Do you ever pray that? You ever pray, come, Lord Jesus? You should. You should. And of course, the kingdom is spiritual. The kingdom is something that is right here. 
And so when we say your kingdom come, our desire is to see the manifestation of his kingdom on earth. Our desire is to see his rule and his reign here in my heart. If you need a castle to imagine it, here it is, right? You're the castle. Each one of you is God's castle. And he wants to come and rule and reign in you. And so the kingdom of God is universal. It's eternal. It's earthly. It's spiritual. How does it come? How can you bring the reign of Christ to this earth? A couple of things. God's kingdom comes through conversion. It comes every time that we surrender our hearts to him. The kingdom came this week in my own household. The kingdom came in my own household this week. Praise the Lord. Yeah. When we say, Lord, may you come and reign in me. Have your way in me, God. That's conversion. God comes and he invades this castle. He defends it with his own army. Jesus Christ stands between us and the enemy. And he fights off the enemy for us. Jesus ruling and reigning in your life brings the kingdom of God to this earth. That's why the scripture says he calls us kings and priests, right? To serve God. But not only is this for us, this kingdom coming, it's also a missionary prayer. It's a prayer, it's an evangelism conversation with God. God, we want your kingdom to come here in Grimes. We want Grimes to be a place where Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God, bring your kingdom here in our midst. And God, use me. Use me as your subject. Use me as your servant to speak the name of God. And so the second thing is that the kingdom of comes through our own commitment, right? When we, it's a commitment that you make every day by saying, Jesus, may your kingdom come here in my heart. You are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my heart. The kingdom of God comes when we, when we adopt God's family system, if you will. When we take on his family system and we make it a priority. Part of God's family system is forgiveness. It's to forgive as we've been forgiven. To love unconditionally. That's the commitment that we're making. God, may your kingdom work in and through me. To pray the kingdom is to say, Father, make me more like Jesus. Fill me with your peace. Let me know the fullness. Let me know the joy of the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom comes, and the kingdom will come when Jesus Christ comes again. Kingdom comes through conversion, it comes through commitment, 
But there is a great consummation that will take place. There is going to be a glorious day. One day the heavens are going to they're going to split wide open. Jesus Christ is going to be coming, riding on a white horse. His name is faithful and true. He's going to come to the Mount of Olives, <laughs> and Jesus will establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That will be a glorious day. Be a glorious, glorious day. Ha! Huh. Come, Lord. Imagine the curse of sin being lifted, right? Sin being removed. Imagine the Lord Jesus Christ reigning and us ruling and reigning with him. So we're not just saying, praying that his reign would come to the hearts of those who don't know him. We're not just praying that his rule and reign would come into our hearts, but we're praying that he would physically come and end the destruction of sin. Your kingdom come. And if that's you, and you're hallowing the name of God, and you're saying, God, I want your kingdom to be manifested in my life, then guess what? You're going to say the third phrase as well. You're going to say, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying to the Father, Father, may your will become my priority. There's a question for me, and this might get a bit into the weeds. Um, do we really need to ask for God's will to be done? <laughs> if he's sovereign? Won't his, isn't his will, will going to be done anyway? Are, are we really praying to get God to do something other than what he's already planned to do? I tell you what, in my own prayers, this your will be done, sometimes it's a phrase that I tack on to the end of my prayers. You ever do that? I'm just going to tack this thing on here. Um, I'll tack this phrase on to the end of my prayer. Um, that way, it keeps me from praying anything that might be off. Like, okay, so your will. I think this is especially true of me when, when I pray for sick people. I'm like, well, Father, this is what we, our hearts would desire. This would be our will for this. But you know what? May your will ultimately be done here. There's almost like a passive resignation sometimes when we pray for the will of God. I'm not going to get overly concerned because prayer doesn't do much anyway, right? We kind of just resign ourselves to the facts that, well, it's, it's God's will. Thy will be done isn't something we simply tack on to the end of prayer. Maybe when we do that, we're like, God, I don't have any faith to believe that my prayer is going to do anything good. So I'm going to put this on the end to cover up kind of everything else. And I think sometimes our prayer life can be weak because we really don't expect that anything is going to happen anyways. But notice the phrase there. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that imply? Is everything that's done on earth God's will? Hmm. Hmm. This is where I'm at today, so don't shoot me or... I do believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God is sovereign over all of his creation. My answer to that question is, is no. Is everything the Lord's will? The very statement implies that not everything that happens on earth is in alignment with God's perfect will that is being done in heaven. And therefore, as God's servants, we ought to pray. We ought to pray and, and, and ask God for his will to be done here. Here's an example, just to prove my point. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting, desiring, willing anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Does everyone come to repentance? Does everyone come to faith in Jesus Christ? No. The world is in the situation that it's in because we don't always do the will of God. There are evil things that happen in this world. There are things that cause great pain for us. We have to be careful as believers to ever say this phrase to the pain, oh, it must have been God's will. It's simply not true. And if we think that, imagine a prayer, thy will be done with the pain maybe that you've gone through believing that something painful was God's will suddenly there's this bitter resentment about God's will being done. Not everything that happens is God's will. And yet, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God's loving. God's all-knowing. God allows. <laughs> it's important that we come to the Father and say, Your will be done. And here's why, because it, it's an expression of a heart that's right with God, and now we kind of move into this personal will. It's a prayer of alignment for us. God, <laughs> I know my own heart. I know my, what my will is in this, in this part of my life, in this little closet over here, this thing that I'm doing. God, bring it into alignment with your will for my life. Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus decided to do his own will in the Garden of Gethsemane? There's two wills happening there in that prayer. Jesus is looking at the cross and he's saying, you know what? I really don't 
want to do this. This is not what I want to do. I know the purpose of it. I understand what will happen for all of creation. And so Jesus prays and he says, yet, Father, if there's any other way you could do this, do it. Yet, not my will, not what my strong desires are, but your will be done. Jesus goes to the cross, is crucified for the sins of the entire world. The Father turns his face away from him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus follows his own will, we're without hope. We're dead in our sins. And so Jesus provides the perfect example for us in Scripture of how to pray. Father, I know what you want me to do. You know, the truth is, we know right and wrong. We know what God wants us to do. The trick is saying, I'm not going to do what I want to do. God, I want what your will is. And so, this prayer is focused on God to bring glory to him. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom be manifested in me. May your will be my priority in every situation. To begin your prayers that way, it's powerful and it's effective. It reminds us of who God is. We begin with God. It reminds us of what our priority is as believers, as children of God, and it aligns our requests with God's desires. And so, um, as we end this morning, as the worship team comes, I'd like for us to stand, and, um, and I'd like for us to um, say this prayer from memory. It's not going to be on the screen this morning. Oh, never mind. She's ahead of me. Hey, that's Ezra right there. That is Ezra in action right there. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Give us clean hands, give us pure
take offering with these last two songs uh, but first I was asked uh, to have Nate come up front so people could pray for him uh, he leaves for basic training tomorrow we're all proud of him um, it wasn't me that made you come up front so don't be <laughs> mad at me but I and not your parents either um, but I agree with the prayer I'll do this. First of all, I mean, you know, we're sending Nate out to basic training, but I'm going to take this back a few years and embarrass you one more time, Nate. <laughs> so the Friesen family came, Crossroads was one year old. Um, Nate was one of the first few kids in the nursery, and now we're sending him off to basic training. So we're just going to pray for you and send you off. Dear Lord, we just we just lift up Nate. We lift up the Friesen family as they send him off. Uh, we pray for safety and just uh, a peace and encouragement as he goes through the trials and challenges and that you are just guiding him the whole way and that he reaches out to you and prays to you every night, every morning, every time. And we pray for Jason and Karen as they're you know, sending one of their sons out. And we just lift him up to you, and we all pray these things in your name. Amen. You give life. You are love.
earth. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great.
Express.